the Triathlon Show 360. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Paolo Sosa. Paolo is the coach behind one of the longest-standing and most successful international uh, private squads on the short-course triathlon circuit, and is working with uh, some amazing athletes, primarily in short-course racing. We list all of them in the episodes. I won't list any of them uh, here. He's also the coach of middle-distance athletes Eric Lagerström and Paula Findlay, and uh, in this episode, we discuss his squad, how they operate, where they train and why, the short course triathlon scene, things like the racing season and how to work in training between all those races, and just in general get to hear uh, a good amount of Paolo's thoughts on training and coaching. But before that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. Uh, they create sports edition products, including both fueling and hydration products, and they help you use them effectively through a range of free tools, services, and content. The Fuel and Hydration Planner on their website is a one-stop shop for figuring out an effective race hydration and fueling strategy for you. It's free and super easy to use. It only takes a couple of minutes to answer a handful of questions and then you get a detailed, simple and effective race plan. They also offer free video consultation and as a listener of the podcast you can get 15% off your order of the range of electrolyte and carbohydrate products by using the code TTS22 at checkout on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a unique dry lens swim trainer that allows you to improve technique, power and swim training consistency. It is a perfect tool to complement your pool and open water swimming as it allows you to do very specific power and technique work including working on your catch and your core activation and it makes it easier to stay consistent even when you can't go to the pool. You can even use it to do activation work before pool workouts or open water swims or you can do swim bike brick workouts more easily. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days, so if you don't love it, just send it back. And you can get a special TTS bundle including the swim bench and a bunch of Senate training plans and on-demand workouts on senatesumtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Paolo Sosa. Hi Paolo, welcome to That Triathlon Show. How are you doing? Hi Michael, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, it's been a long time since we've talked, but it's uh, great to have you uh -huh. back. For the many new listeners we have, can you please introduce yourself and uh, tell us a bit more about yourself? Uh, well, I'm. Uh, my name is Paulo Souza. I'm uh, 51 years old. I'm uh, and I'm a high performance uh, triathlon coach, focusing mostly on uh, on the Olympic triathlon. Yeah, and uh, in in that uh, environment, you have over the years built up a really great squad. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, how that came about? First of all, when when did you start that, and how how has it evolved over the years? And who are the mm -hmm. current members of the squad? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I started the squad uh, back in uh, 2010. Uh, the squad since then uh, has had uh, many forms, many models, many athletes. Uh, I feel. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a different uh, environment and uh, and a different uh, entity uh, every year uh, with uh, different people, different ways of working, uh, different models, different locations for camps. Uh, in the last few years, uh, going into Tokyo and currently, uh, we uh, we've had uh, 
stronger focus on um, on uh, Olympic triathlon, and uh, and uh, and now I have uh, uh, quite a few athletes uh, that that are focusing on uh, on on Olympic triathlon. Uh, let me pull up the. Let me pull up the the list of athletes here because the last time somebody asked me about this, I forgot one and I couldn't, uh, and that was uh, I was in big trouble. But uh, yeah, the list of the list of athletes uh, by alphabetical order uh, is uh, Cecilia Santa Maria, Claire Michel, uh, Jean Luer, uh, Kaidi Kivioja, Maxime Hubert, Moose Brugger, uh, Miriam Casillas, Natalie Van Coverden. Roxana Slupek, Sarah Village, Seth Ryder, Summer Rappaport, Takumi Hojo, Taylor Spivey, and Yuko Takahashi. And these are the guys um, that uh, that are focused in in world triathlon. And in addition to that, I also coach uh, uh, Eric Lagerstrom, who's been with me for for a long time, and uh, and also uh, Paula Findlay. And these guys are focusing on 70.3 and uh, PTO races. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Uh, well, for anybody who follows uh, the World Triathlon Racing, there's plenty of names there that they will uh, uh, obviously recognize. Exactly. Uh, some some really great talents there. And I think you had, was it six athletes that qualified for the Tokyo Olympics? We actually had seven athletes uh, in, uh, in, in Tokyo, yes. Seven athletes, uh-huh. yeah. So, so it's uh, it's very successful in uh, in in that with that, with that kind of standard. So, so how much time when when you're with the squad? How much time is spent on on camps and and where are the locations that you base yourselves when you're on camp? Mm-hmm. Well, the 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 time spent at camps also it's one of the things that uh, that has uh, changed uh, through the years. Uh, it's it's going to be dependent on. It's going to be dependent on where uh, we can get uh, a maximum number of uh, of athletes together in the same place, and also where it makes sense for athletes to be at camp. So, so it varies, but but usually we have we have uh, uh, a camp at the start of the season that uh, we're going to be in the same location more or less between January and uh, and end of April. And uh, and then we have uh, a camp that is going to be around the summer, and usually it's at altitude. And um, and then we have a camp in preparation for the end of the season. That's going to be September, October this year, uh, November as well. And uh, and this will depend a lot on uh, the race schedule. I think uh, you know that. Uh, when it comes to world triathlon racing, the, the race schedule ends up being very different. Uh, also a big driver for the end of the season is going to be the, the grand final and, uh, and the location of the grand final usually decides uh, when it is, when it is in the year. So uh, if it's in a cold place, like for example, Edmonton, Canada, the, the grand final is going to be early in the year, maybe end of August or September uh this year because it's in Abu Dhabi it's going to be in the last week of um November so all these factors come in and uh, and decide when and where we're going to have camps um uh, in the last few years we've uh, we've been uh, uh based or doing a lot of our off season work uh in 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 Portugal uh in the south of Portugal 
and uh, and we're going to go back. Uh, we're going to go back there uh, at the end of this season. Uh, a big focus as well for us uh, that was like interrupted by COVID is to have um, uh, one or two altitude training camps uh, during the summer, and we usually use um, we usually use uh, Fontrome in uh, in France uh, to uh, to do that camp, but also. In the past, when it made more sense, we also used a lot uh, uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, the the main deciding factor to uh, to for the location of these camps is going to be a location that's going to work. And in terms of triathlon training, uh, there's not going to be a lot of locations worldwide that are going to be uh, really good for uh, swim, bike, run. So ends up that these locations are chosen by mostly by necessity of like a place where we can go and uh, and uh, and train without uh, without uh, constraints uh, without environmental constraints uh, in a, in a, in a, in a way that we don't we can just work freely at at a place. So ends up that when we list all these places, it, there's not going to be a lot of places around the world that are going to fit our our bill yeah yeah no they're the same same few places are used by most everybody who mm-hmm. uh, who does the same kind of operation mm-hmm. uh so uh so w- when you have do you have all of your camp uh, athletes usually present or is it a mix of some some people will be at all of the camps all the time when uh, unless they're racing and and others will uh be mm-hmm. more sometimes home based sometimes at camp how mm-hmm. does that work well we have we have a very a very flexible way of uh, of working where uh mostly because at the squad there's always there's always been athletes that are at different levels of development and with different necessities and uh and also different race schedules so ends up that the camps are there uh to when it works for the athletes and when it works for their race schedule. So basically is we don't have a structure where we have camps that revolve around, for example, like the WTCS uh, calendar or the World Cup calendar. We have camps that we can get when we can get people together and uh, and we can have work groups that uh, are preparing a block of races or can work together for a period of time. That's when we uh, that's when we set up the that's when we set up the camp, and uh, and so ends up being very flexible in the way of the athletes are at camp. I am at camp. Uh, we are working together. Uh, ends up being tailored to the athletes, and then ends up that because we have a large number, uh, we can we can we can have work groups that are going to be at the same place at the same time working together. Mm, got it. And uh, you mentioned already Eric Lagerstrom and uh, Paula Findlay, who uh, are focusing more on the middle distance and PTO races. They are based in Oregon. I'm sure many listeners will be following their YouTube videos mm-hmm. and, and so on. So they're familiar with that. How, how do you find that uh, that sort of more constantly remote coaching relationships works compared to having athletes come join you at camps? Uh-huh. Well, uh, ends up that being, you know, uh, even pre-COVID, uh, uh, a normal season uh, means that a lot of athletes are going to be 
uh, at different places uh, from from where I am, and uh, and uh, and this might be for personal reasons or for race calendar reasons. So it ends up that like the squad does not only work when I'm there and everybody's there and everybody's training together at the same in the same place, and so the mixed uh, the mixed model between online coaching and remote coaching and uh, and uh, in presence coaching is always going to be is always going to be there of course with um, with uh, with covid and the season 2020 season and the 2021 season ended up that uh, put put ended up putting everyone in that in that mixed model of online remote and and in person so in, ended up that like everybody is already in that in that let's call it wavelength in that way of working where a lot of the the, the work uh, uh, it happens happens remotely so ends up being like the same way the same way that I work with uh, with Eric and uh, and Paula uh, I would say that like another another strength of of the the model of working with Paula and uh, and Eric uh, is that um, is that I've known these guys for a long, long time. I've coached Eric uh, since uh, I think 2013, and uh, and uh, and I've I've known Paula and followed Paula since uh, since uh, 2009 when I when I did a training camp with uh, with Triathlon Canada in um, in Maui in 2009, and uh, so these are guys that I that I know very well as well, and. Uh, and so it ends up being easy to work with them at a distance. Uh, I happened to like spend a week with them uh, uh, a few weeks ago in uh, in Bend, Oregon, which was great to just work with them for a uh, in in person and also check out the their uh, their training environment. It's uh, it's really nice out there in uh, in Bend. So I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the week that I spent with them. Yeah, no, that sounds uh, sounds great. Definitely seems seems like a good place to train from from the videos. And uh, yeah, what what do you think are the differences in how the different squads that exist, especially in when we fo- focus on short course racing, uh, there have been many and many new have come up since the time that you first started your squad. Do you think that there are big differences in training uh, philosophies between the squads, or are differences more related to things like the the culture and how the the squad operates more in general terms rather than training terms? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel that I feel that. Uh, well, maybe th- this will sound sound a little uh, self serving, but I feel that a lot of a lot of squads, or it's not like it's a large number, but but a lot of squads. Uh, were uh, were I wouldn't say like inspired, but for sure uh, some squads like mine or or Joel's uh, because we had uh, we had uh, the podcast around I, I I don't remember like 2015 or 2016 where where we shared a lot of like how the our squads work and how we operated and all that and I think that was like a starting point for a few. Uh, coaches around the world to uh, to create their own squads and start their own squads and uh, or they probably like already wanted to do it but found some sort of inspiration and and uh, 
in 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 the in the podcast and what we shared in the podcast. So I end up thinking that uh, a lot of the squads that are out, are out there they work um, very similarly to to my squads or 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 Joel's squad. I I the main difference that I see is that a lot of a lot of squads uh, uh, out. Uh, are also like our federation squads and those guys have way more resources than a private squad like mine has. And they end up being able to do things that, uh, that, uh, that we cannot do just simply because of lack of, lack of resources. And uh, so the resources associated with squads that are, uh, that are federation squads, I would, I would feel like would be like, uh, the main uh, the main difference uh other than that kind of like i feel that you know i don't want like the word formula has a as a negative connotation but i would say that like a lot of athlete a lot of coaches that started their own squads kind of like used a little bit uh the formula that uh that uh, joel and i put forth in uh, on 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 that podcast back in the day and uh, and I feel that so I see a lot of uh, a lot of things um in those squads that that we all were already doing mm, yeah no that makes sense when you uh look at the the federation based squads that have uh, bigger resources what is it that draws athletes to private squads like yours when when they might have depending on the country of the athlete of course but you have for example american athletes in your squad that uh, mm-hmm. i would guess in theory have access to maybe more resources and more support in a in a squad supported by their federation but yet they still choose to come and train with you what what is the reason for for that and for other athletes in the same situation that do uh, that make that choice mm-hmm. well in the case of the us uh they they run like a fully decentralized uh, uh, decentralized model, which means that uh, you know since uh, since I I worked at USAT for uh, for this 2018 season, and I w- you could say that like during that time they they had a more centralized they had a centralized model in the sense that like I was a federation coach and had a have federation squad, but they they have since the went away from that model uh but but to answer your question uh i think that like the biggest drawback with the uh, with with federation is that uh decisions are not always made with uh with the athletes in mind and athletes are uh steered or guided through decisions that uh fit uh uh federation strategy and not individual strategy and and so i would think that like the the biggest uh, the biggest draw of having of uh, of being uh, uh coached by me or being part of our squad is that you know we are 100% athlete centered in the ter- in the terms that like there's no uh wider agenda when we make decisions uh, the decisions are made by the athletes and uh, and they are uh, in function of like their needs and and their wants and not because the federation decides that uh, this athlete needs to go to this race because uh, they need the points for 
Olympic qualification or whatever it is, or uh, or this athlete needs to go to this camp because a better athlete is going to be there and needs a training partner. So all those dynamics are not present in our squad, and uh, and I think that's uh, that's uh, that can be very liberating for the athletes where they can just focus on 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 triathlon and uh, and and like I said, that can be very uh, liberating and empowering for the athletes. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an investment for them, pro- I, I assume, because they with a federation they would usually get all of that for free but then the athlete can choose to invest in themselves and and kind of get rid of some of the politics of it all mm-hmm. uh, is mm-hmm. that a fair assessment yeah well in a sport where federations have a lot of power uh, athletes never really uh get away from politics uh uh completely but uh, but i can tell you that i've had i've had both experience of being a private coach or a federation coach. And uh, I can, I can tell you that uh, when you're a federation coach and the athletes that are from that country uh, feel the politics on a daily basis, when they're on the federation uh, uh, on a federation uh, uh, squad and, and that day to day, Having to deal with day to day bullshit is not going to be is not going to be something that uh, that is present in our squad. So basically, we are able to on the day to day focus on doing our job and uh, and focusing on performance. And once in a while, obviously, through a form of an email or a phone call, then uh, the federation politics will will come in, but there's there's a big difference between having to be immersed in it or just having to deal with it when it when it happens yeah no that, that makes sense so when you have new athletes that come into the squad are there any things that you would say that they normally find or at, at least with some some kind of frequency find that okay this is different than what i'm used to doing um that 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 the athletes have typically done before and i mean obviously you have athletes coming from very different environments mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. but maybe something that something that surprises them with the way you and the squad operate yeah i think like i like you said uh experiences are very individual and uh and dependent on the on the environment that that they were that they were in uh before uh i i think the biggest strength that our environment has is that uh we are able to uh maintain like the maintain the drama to a to a low level and being able to just really really focus on really really focus on the work and 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 improvement and performance uh i feel that like uh, other squads other environments that a lot of the times uh there's too much of a high school environment that that we work very hard to curtail or to diminish so that we are able to focus on the day-to-day work in terms of training um i feel that the biggest thing that i see is that uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of programs a lot of training programs uh out there in world triathlon that are very intensity focused and uh and and I get a lot of athletes that are used to doing a lot more intensity 
uh, and and they are also like burned out by intensity, meaning that uh, uh, they lack a real like endurance. They lack real endurance to approach the kind of races that uh, that we race at, and uh, and I feel that there's a lot of coaches out there that uh, that uh, because triathlon is not a sport that's as established and as like the traditional sports. Uh, I feel that there's a lot of uh, coaches out there that are still working to find their own system, their own formula. And they, and they end up having programs that have way too much intensity and the athletes, when they come to the squad, end up having, there's this clash in philosophies where they, they're used to just doing a lot more intensity uh, less volume and and also the impact that those high intensity programs had on their bodies uh, throughout the years makes a big big difference in their performance now and adapting to our training now. Mm, yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I, I think we'll come back to mm-hmm. to that uh, in regard to your training philosophy and so mm-hmm. on in just a little bit. Uh, just before that, though, uh, as we kind of talked about already, the season can be very long, especially when a year like this, you have the grand final in Abu Dhabi in November, you have Super League, you have World Triathlon, you have uh, Athletes Racing Grand Prix races and, and all, all sorts of racing, some athletes, mm-hmm. short course athletes, double in long course. How how do you obviously the athletes have their say and the federation has their say? Where, how do you find the balance between racing options, when to race, when not to race, when to focus on training? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, that's entirely driven by by the race calendar. Um, uh, I think that uh, the the question of periodization uh, is is one of those things that. In our sport, we are still tied down to uh, the tradition—the tradition of having, like, the tradition that comes from running, for example, where you have very few events, you have two or three peaks over the season, and all that stuff. And that's when where periodization uh, uh, comes in. But the reality of all triathlon is that uh, is that uh, you end up racing a lot. You end up racing uh, sometimes in blocks of like two, three, four races, two, three races in a row, and uh, and so periodization comes out of necessity, not as uh, something that's that's going to come out of a of a textbook. And uh, in general terms, I would say that uh, I would say that we we have uh, more. Uh, classic periodization during the off season and uh, and building the the during the off season January February March April and uh, but then when the season starts and races start we end up having uh, uh, the the content of training ends up being very uh, very specific and uh, and 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 any concept of traditional. Uh, Periodization goes goes out goes out the window. Uh, if you want me to be a little more uh, uh, technical, I would say that uh, concepts like similar to uh, block periodization are uh, easier to apply to world triathlon racing uh, than uh, than uh, 
the more traditional models for for periodization. But I would say that ends up being like totally driven, totally driven by uh, totally driven by um, by race calendar, and uh, and ends up that in season the specific content is going to be very high. Yeah. Um... I think what, what one thing that's really interesting to me is uh, how athletes, when they race really frequently, like right now we have Super League and, and the athletes mm-hmm. are racing, what is it, four times in five weeks, I believe. Mm-hmm. So almost every week. How, 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 what does it look like between the races there? What, what does the training look like? Is it, is it really, really toned down in terms of the volume that they're doing and just some fine tuning of intensity or uh, or do they still kind of train because they need to maintain some base fitness for races later uh, olympic distance races and so on or yeah what can you talk a bit more about that um well it's a little it's a, again like the 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 necessity term uh, is going to be it's going to come in just like in between races the constraints the level of constraints are really really high for training and uh and adding to like racing every week uh you also have like the travel aspect um mm. which basically uh, even even if race athletes are in europe and they race in europe next week they're still going to lose one day of training or two days of training uh to to travel so basically if you have one race on a sunday sunday to sunday you're not going to have you're not going to have a lot of opportunities to train i think that uh trying to cram training in between races is not going to be a good idea you just have to accept the reality that after you train after you race 3 weeks in a row uh your your f- levels of fitness are not going to be great uh but that's uh that's balanced out by uh, your race sharpness is very high uh, and your fitness levels were maintained by the specific stimulus. Uh, but it's a tough balance to create between maintaining some uh, training loads and racing well off every week. And uh, and I, I'm not ashamed to say that uh, I... I privilege uh, freshness on race day over trying to, you know, let's get like a three-hour ride here midweek to keep our fitness up. I want athletes to be uh, fresh and as sharp as possible on race day. And that might mean different things for different athletes, but but for sure, privilege uh sharpness and freshness over uh maintaining maintaining fitness and then if we have like a week where we can get back to some volume then that's what we do and that's what the athletes that did uh, that are doing all the races in super league uh last week had like a little bit of a volume freshener uh and and now going into the fourth uh, race of super league they already they are back to some some sharpness sessions and then and then racing over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I stand corrected. It's 
five races in six weeks mm-hmm. in, in Super League. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you have athletes like Taylor Spivey and uh, Miriam Casillas are racing. Is there and uh, some Rappaport was in the latest race, but she's not racing the series. Mm-hmm. If you can just use athletes like like uh, Taylor and Miriam as examples, how much roughly how many hours would they have gotten in the week when they were racing on both weekends? And then in contrast, how much did they manage when, or how much did they do when? uh when they had that racing week or this weekend off uh, as we're recording uh like i'm it's gonna sound a little like maybe i don't want to say it but like to tell the truth i i i don't know how many how many how many hours they were they were doing uh in these in these race weeks uh i just focus on today or like when planning a week of training i'm just thinking about on Tuesday, what do these athletes need to do on this day? And then on Wednesday, what do they need to do this this day? What is, like, I have, like, a concept for the week and then adjust sessions uh, to that concept and the constraints that, that I have uh, for the for the week. I can tell you that, for example, we have, we have ways of doing things that the athletes are very accustomed to, uh, and and it's kind of like a little bit of like a plug and play, uh, plug and play uh, training protocol that the athletes execute going into a race, and that this is done because we've done it many times before, and we've had good performances out of it, and also like the familiarity of the program uh, of the training program helps the athletes perform as well. So so the races the races. Uh, like for example, uh, looking at uh, the transition between uh, between uh, the last race in Europe Super League, what what was it? Was it Munich? And then Munich. going to going to Malibu, uh, we already have like a protocol of um, how to do. How is the program? How is the training schedule when you have like a transcontinental flight and then racing in three days? So we kind of like. The athletes already know what kind of training they're going to be doing. We plug and play the that 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 uh, concept, and the athletes go and execute. Uh, so, so ends up being that like the concept's already established. The volume intensity is going to change a little bit, but uh, but the processes are very familiar to the athletes, and it's not really like we're not really like inventing something for the for the for the for this occasion, but more like established processes that we have, and and then and then the athletes can just focus on executing on race day. Mm. And and you mentioned that you're not afraid of uh, making sure the athlete is fresh on on race day, so not doing unnecessary long rides, for example. What's mm-hmm. your view on the intensity that that is needed in race week, or that is beneficial in race week versus? what is too much like how where do you stand on on that spectrum well i believe that that you can have like a, a matrix like i told you like a training uh a training matrix a concept for the week and then and then the athletes have inputs on on volume and intensity by by feel so basically is they have ranges of volume and intensity and uh and they can adjust 
depending on the day and how they feel and and also like how they operate as athletes uh they can adjust those ranges to 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 their needs so uh my experience is that even if i send the same training uh plan for uh for uh for this for for four or five different athletes uh the way they adjust training and the way they adjust the ranges is going to bring in the individual characteristics of the training plan for that for that week and then what i see in you know post analysis that indeed athletes adjust ranges and adjust volume depending on their personal preferences and uh, and and that's where individualization uh comes in i i'm not I'm not big on I'm not big on just like being uh very precise in like finding the right formula. I'm instead what I ask the athletes is let's work on finding what's going to be working for you this week inside yeah, no, that inside makes, the concept total, that we have for the week. May makes total sense to have uh athlete autonomy there uh, because uh, it's yeah how, how how is it possible that uh a coach could know exactly the number of intervals or the number of minutes of intensity that is that is needed but yeah it makes more sense that you uh the athlete knows kind of what what there's a, what the reason is for the workout they're doing and then within that and within some uh, some parameters they can adjust it based on how they're feeling on the day uh and and i think uh i've seen i've seen an instagram post where you uh where you hold up a, a sign with something like write your own workouts uh, is is that what kind of what what you were referring to with that post no i was i was being i was being sarcastic i think that uh one thing that i think is funny and you you've noticed like my relationship with uh social media fluctuates <laughs> through the years and uh and uh now it's uh definitely at uh at uh, at its lowest point which i would qualify it as the highest point for me but uh but uh i was just being sarcastic because i think one thing that's funny is that every time i post a workout that's what generates more talk and more questions and uh and it's not it's not really like it's not really about like the workouts that we're doing you know that's that's going to be super important while protocol is important you know workouts specific workouts are not going to be not going to be important so it was it was probably uh it was probably like me making fun of uh of the audience which is a little bit in in line with my sarcastic uh, personality uh but but uh I I would say that I would say that like athlete autonomy is is going to be important, but more more important than that is athlete ownership. Uh, the athlete making the the training program their training program, and that can be done through belief. Basically, the athlete like, hey, uh, my coach gave me this program, and I believe that this is the best program, so it's my program. But also. Uh, being at a race site and like it happened in Malibu where there's uh five different athletes that have very similar programs and uh and maybe medium thinks well Taylor is doing five reps but I'm doing six because I feel that's what's best for me you know so so 
making the program your own, either through belief or through personal adjustments, uh, makes the formula that the, the system works so much better in terms of, hey, uh, this is my program. This is what's best for me today. And I, I try to have as many opportunities as possible uh, for athletes to have inputs on, on that. And that's usually like in terms of ranges where we can go to, let's say, the track and I tell the athletes, well, we're going to be working on, you know, 14 to 18, 400, something like that. And the athletes can choose um, uh, their, their own session. And, and with it, they can increase ownership over the session, get more out of them. And also, they know better than me what they are able to do that day. So... So all this is connected to increasing individuality uh, in in the in the training prescription by uh, increasing like ownership that the athletes over have over their program. Mm, yeah, uh, that makes sense. I I assume that you you talk with your athletes about it and educate them in making the choice individually for them. But do you ever have any issues with athletes? perhaps making a choice based on what others are doing, maybe with newer athletes or younger athletes? Uh, yes, but uh, I always feel that, like, it's going to be part of their learning process, you know? And I empower them to be their own person and just uh, make their own choices. And and sometimes, and I think I, think I have, the athletes do a very good job at just, like, focusing on themselves and not the others. Uh, you can imagine that in a large squad with a lot of athletes, uh, it's, it's very important that, uh, that everyone is focused on themselves and what they're doing instead of like looking around and seeing what the others are doing and competing with the others and all that. So, so empowering them to focus on their work and and then use the group as like a lifting environment for them in a positive way. I think that's super, super important to be able to manage the group in a positive way. Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, I guess we've already <laughs> transitioned into training mm -hmm. kind of organically, but if, if you can describe your, if you want to call it training philosophy for lack of a better term in in a few key points um yeah what would what would those key points be well my training philosophy is like i feel like i'm like uh filling up a, a training peaks a coach questionnaire huh uh traditionally and this is like a pet peeve of mine throughout many years is just like i always feel that like training philosophy is like a concept that uh kind of like it's a bit of a little bit of like a selling uh, a selling concept of just like hey I'm a, I'm a volume guy I'm an intensity guy I'm a whatever you want to call it uh, I'm a polarized training guy I'm a, now like a threshold model guy uh, I feel that I feel that like when when you think about training if you think about training philosophy I think that like you are putting yourself uh, in a corner 
uh, in a in a little. It's, it's more. It's more. It's more about the approach to training. If if that. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. yeah I, I don't. I, I don't mean to uh, for you to to label yourself. I I definitely don't think that that's that's a good thing, and that's not the intention of uh-huh, the question. Uh-huh. It's more. Yeah. Uh, the the approach, and and we have discussed some aspects of it already, but yeah, that's how I uh-huh. would describe it. Maybe in a better term. Yeah, I I understand. I understand where you're coming from, and and. And me uh, lashing out is is not at you, <laughs> uh, but uh, but basically, like what I was going to say is, uh, I I don't want to be like in a box where basically like this is what we do, this is this is the box we are in, and 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 definitely have a way broader uh, mind of like what do we do in terms of training. And uh, and that might change year to year, or um, year to year, or uh, even like inside a season, we might we might change uh, might change things, and uh, and and also like athlete input has a lot to do with it. Uh, there there's some some athletes enjoy training a certain way, and uh, and uh, and uh, and I think that. It's my job as a coach also to provide them with just like stimulus that are going to be something that they will embrace completely. So in terms of like training philosophy, I wouldn't say like, well, I'm a volume guy that uh, does a little bit of intensity. My approach is like polarized. Um, it, I wouldn't say something like that. It's more that we have a way of doing things that... Uh, it's more a question of like execution and how we operate on the day to day and less about the training content and what we do and also adjust things based on, on, on athlete, uh, uh, on athlete, uh, on athlete feedback in general terms, I would say that like some uh, philosophies in endurance training that I am more that I'm closer to uh, would be, would be, for example, uh, polarized training or whatever you want to call it uh even though like lately it seems that everything is polarized training but uh yeah but uh but i would say that like i am closer to a polarized approach than other approaches but but for example like in the last two seasons uh we've been doing uh, a lot of uh uh fat max training on the bike or uh or uh Ingebrigtsen uh, training on the run, and those concepts are definitely not uh, not polarized training. And uh, so, I feel that, like in terms of training philosophy, I would say that like flexibility on the approach, and also uh, have training that I feel that either by the specific content that it's got, or by the personal preference that athletes have for it, I will then like choose that. So instead of like being in a box where like, this is what we do, this is our approach. Uh, I think that more individuals and specificity are going to be the key factors in, in, in the overall training philosophy. And when, when you say that the execution on the day-to-day is more important than, than the training content itself, um, one one aspect of that uh, that we already talked a lot about is the uh, 
the ability for the athlete to make decisions within certain parameters mm-hmm. around what is the right amount of things to do. Are there any other things that you would say fall within that good execution versus bad execution? What what other things should athletes consider? Like how how, how do, would you educate a new athlete to the squad that this is how you execute mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. on on the day to day? Well, we have we have uh, we work with a few different uh, a few different uh, training templates for the week, where we we the athletes already know what to expect from you know for example Tuesday today uh, we we had a hard hard swim hard bike uh, cruise run the athletes already know what to expect and they already know that if they had a hard bike today, they're not going to have a hard run tomorrow. So in terms of like day-to-day execution is how can we have good sessions from day-to-day so that we can back up sessions? For example, when athletes come in, uh, I've had several athletes that basically only they do things a lot by feel, where basically it's like, today I feel amazing, I'm just going to destroy this session. And I really don't care how I feel tomorrow. And then tomorrow they don't feel great and they have like a bad session. So when I talk about execution is how can we have a very solid week of training where we have very good training days, one day to the other, to the other, to the other. And then we back up training days and then we back up training weeks. And with this consistent consistency in execution, then we're going to have a very consistent process. So that's where training execution comes in. In terms of like, obviously the sessions that we're doing are important and what we're doing is important, uh, but also achieving a level of execution that allows you to back up training days and then back up training weeks is very, very important. Mm. And other than these general training uh, topics that we have discussed, if, if we go into the three disciplines of swim, biking, and running. Uh, I'll leave this as an open-ended question for you, but are there any things you would say can kind of be highlighted as as things that are, let's say, fundamental within how the swimming, swim training is structured or bike or something that's more important in swim training or something that's more important in bike training and run training and so on? Mm-hmm. Well, in my mind, I always think that we're doing a lot of different things on, on the swim, but my athletes are probably going <laughs> to disagree with that. Uh, in terms of swimming, I feel that uh, through the years, uh, we've, we've had a very solid swimming, uh, uh, swimming uh, uh, program that uh, has allowed for the athletes with a strong uh, swimming background to perform at a high level, but also has allowed for uh, development for the majority of athletes and uh, and and this the swim program is based on 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 consistency we are uh, we have a swim program that we consistently swim uh, for the developing athletes we consistently swim uh, 28 to thirty k a week year round and uh, and uh, in training weeks, not not race weeks, and uh, and uh, and there's some aspects of the swimming that uh, that uh, that are uh, constants in the in in our program that I feel are 
are uh, very very uh, have worked worked out well for us in the in the past. I would say that uh, uh, the swim program is very very polarized. We have two two sessions a week where we uh, we do some uh, some intensity, and this is going to be uh, either uh, either threshold or uh, probably like above above LT two or uh, or VO two max uh, main sets. And um, and then the 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 bulk of of the training, uh, the swim training is uh, no fluff uh, cruise uh, cruise intensity, which would be something like let's say it like generally uh, below LT one, uh, but but like I said, no fluff. So basically, we might we might do sets of uh, of low intensity swimming that. Uh, that are going to be freestyle, nonstop for 40, 50 uh, minutes, something like that. Uh, so basically, we're just not like, I feel that like a lot of programs have a lot of fluff in terms of like, well, we're swimming 200 with 50, with 50 kick or something that just like does not maintain a high level of, of volume at low intensity. So that would be, I would think that would be like the, the, the main feature of the swim program. Uh, having said that, for this season, I uh, revamped the structure for our sessions, and we 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 started doing some uh, some some kicking, some drill work, some sprint work, uh, and uh, in the form of a preset at almost every session, and uh, and and the sessions for this season uh, looked a little more like. Uh, traditional swimming sessions and this was like a pretty big change from uh previous years but i think uh, i think with uh, with good results in terms of cycling um there's 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 the program is also a lot very uh very polarized in terms of again two intensity sessions a week and supported by uh volume at low intensity and uh and i wouldn't say that like the the bike program is the bike program is like super like you know revolutionary it's just about being consistent in a in a in a polarized uh, concept in terms of running um i've i've played with different concepts throughout uh, throughout the years the latest kick that i'm on right now is uh is on uh, threshold running and uh, and uh, and more of a uh, Ingebrigtsen uh, uh, model of of running uh, that uh, that I think works well for some athletes. Uh, other athletes are still doing like a lot of the stuff that we've been doing through the years. Uh, perhaps the li- the latest the difference has been uh, better intensity control uh, in the in the last couple of seasons that we've been working with. And uh, and uh, and trying to trying to teach the athletes to uh, slow run slower for the their solid slash threshold stuff and 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 try to slow them down in terms of in terms of the the training intensity that that they follow. So this would be like yeah uh, yeah a summary of like our our approach to swim bike run 
Yeah, no, that's a perfect summary. Do you, on the bike, would one of the key sessions be something uh, like a, a crit workout or something like working in groups to simulate the demands of the events or or would would the races themselves seeing as your athletes race race a lot uh, that they the races provide enough training for that yeah we do we the the stuff that we do in terms of like crit riding and and mostly with the women is going to be is going to be uh, more technical work in terms of technical riding in a crit-like uh, environment. And that's not always possible because it's very hard to find locations worldwide to, to do that kind of work. Uh, I think that once you start doing race pace, race intensity in a crit environment, I think that the, the, safety, the safety level of that uh, is not very high. I, I, I have like serious uh, safety concerns with doing uh, 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 crit like uh, efforts uh, at race intensity, and and so that's where racing or doing sessions where we do pace line pace line riding or group riding at a high intensity, but a low technical or the course is not technical, and the technical uh, aspect of the riding comes from riding with a group. Uh, that's where. That's where the the focus is with 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 specific contents on on the bike. Uh, for the man, uh, uh, I've been lucky to have like a lot of uh, 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 riders that are very good on the bike, and they don't need like particular skill in uh, in developing their skills on the on the on their technical skills on the bike. So we don't do a lot of. Uh, or not at all uh uh riding technical riding in a crit uh, course uh but but again like it's like a kind of like a necessity thing is tomorrow i have an athlete that needs that kind of work then obviously we will do that kind of work mm. and and would with the, with the cycling workouts would you would you have uh, a mixture of kind of very high kind of spiky sessions considering that that going around corners dead turns and and so on that's uh, required in the races mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and or would you uh, or and or would you also have some longer intervals considering that the bike is the longest of the three disciplines so there is also some an endurance component to the intensity that's required there mm-hmm. well for sure uh we we have a few sessions that you haven't you haven't seen in like training triathlon training books huh uh i feel that uh, i feel that traditionally uh in in world triathlon um in world triathlon uh i'm sure that uh i'm sure that the coaches have access to the same power files that i do and uh and what you see in power files is that like high variability of riding very intense riding and uh Obviously, like having a high threshold uh, is is helpful, and uh, and and being a a good rider in terms of of fitness, overall fitness is obviously helpful. But having sessions that are very that uh, have uh, demands that are very close to racing is is very very important. And for sure, we have a few sessions, not just. Obviously, like when you're doing a paceline session, there's going to be some natural, um, natural accelerations and spikes uh, 
in power that are going to be race-like, but uh, but at the same time, like you mentioned, uh, the accelerations out of each turn are going to have to be simulated in training in some way. So we have a few sessions that are going to be that are going to be based on the uh, uh, that are going to be based on like very variability and re- repeating a high kind of effort and and with recoveries. Uh, so so these variable uh, sessions are uh, I would say like more introduced close to races and then and then we use them in the in the middle of in the middle of the season as well yeah and uh, uh just one final follow up question is regarding running so and this is another thing that i picked up from your instagram uh so whether it's sar- sarcasm or not you you'll have to <laughs> to reveal okay. now but uh, it seemed like you were doing a bit of uh, quite a bit of hill running uh so hill reps on the run uh can you elaborate a bit on that uh well uh for sure, we use we use some we use we use some hill running uh, at the beginning of the season and and throughout the season. Uh, I can tell you that uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, hill running and maintenance of hill running is one of the uh, one of the one of the things that are athlete driven. Athletes, if hills are missing throughout the season, athletes uh, ask for them and want to. Uh, do at least like maintenance uh, work with with hill running. Um, hill running had like a bigger uh, a bigger factor in our in our uh, program when uh, we worked in uh, in California, which is a a very uh, hilly uh, hilly place in terms of like short uh, steep hills, and we did a lot of that. Uh, in uh, Montegordo, it's a very flat place, or it's you have to drive to get some some good hills, so maybe less of a less of a uh, less of a factor. Uh, as you know, throughout throughout history, a lot of programs had uh, were very uh, focused on hills, also because they were in hilly places. Um, but uh, but the the advantage of hill running is that you can do very high intense work uh, in a very safe way. In terms of impacts, uh, so uh, between doing uh, a hill a hill session or a, a track session at very high intensity, uh, I would prefer to do uh, a hill session because because it's a lot safer uh, in in overall in terms of like impact for the runners. Um, but uh, but it's also going to be like depending on like where we are and what we can do and where we can work to to do those hills yeah yeah that makes makes a lot of sense and and uh, yeah you you have to make use of your environment i guess depending on where you are and when one one advantage that you definitely will have in Montegordo compared to california is that the the risk of getting hit by a car must be like one percent because as soon as you head into into the hills there the the traffic is very very light so uh, a nice and safe place for for cycling at least from my experience yes for sure like uh, while you've you've been there uh, montegordo is incredibly safe once you hit the hills you're just uh no there's nobody out there we've done we've done some hill repeats on on the bike uh in in some roads that sometimes we do the whole set that lasts almost an hour and, and nobody no there's not one car going going on that road and uh and you you hit on a 
a very important point, which is for me when picking a place to train is is overall safety um, for for the athletes. Uh, uh, for sure, like for me as a coach, uh, my nightmare, my worst case scenario is when when an athlete uh, has a has an accident, and uh, and uh, and and for sure, I would you know hate myself if I told an athlete to ride at this in this road that's very busy and then ends up uh, ends up uh, uh, having a having an accident uh, that's also you know we used to work in California and it was incredibly busy and we had some accidents uh, that happened there and things in the US overall are not getting better for for cyclists are getting worse and uh, and uh, and and Basically, like the only place I see having uh, a training camp is going to be in Flagstaff, uh, because it ends up being that there are only there's only two options to ride there, but but they're very they're very safe, and uh, and uh, and and that's huge huge for us when when picking a place to train. Hmm. Yeah. Um, just a few more uh, general questions. Uh, coming back to your uh, coaching. So, first, what is something that you've changed your mind about in training or in coaching in the in the last few years, and or that you do differently now than you used to do a few years ago? Uh, well, I change my mind often. Uh, I feel that uh, uh, changing changing my mind, changing your mind is is uh, is. Uh, is uh, hopefully a sign of maturity and uh, and and I feel that uh, as the years gone by I, I've been able to uh, change my mind more often and and when confronted with evidence or something is not working or something needs to change so I don't see any value in 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 having the right answer because I've had it for a long time. I see value in doing the right thing, having the right answer uh, and having a good performance slash outcome from, from, uh, from finding that answer. And it doesn't matter if I had it all along or if I had it uh, uh, just now or if others have the answer. And a lot of the times is a lot of, a lot of the times athletes might come to me with the right answer and that makes me change my mind. I feel that uh, stubbornness is not, is not a good, uh, is not a good characteristic in, in coaching. Uh, I think that being able to be adaptable and, and changing your ways in face of evidence is a, is a positive characteristic. So when you ask me, what what have you changed uh your mind i'm like so many times i don't i don't know i don't know if i can i can find you i if i can find you an example i think that that's yeah that's that's fine i think that's a that's a good good answer uh you did and you don't have to dig for a specific example okay. uh okay. yeah that's uh that's completely fine uh is there anything that you're particularly focused on right now as part part of your learning or coaching development or particularly interested uh-huh, in. Uh-huh. I think that I think that the biggest thing at at this stage of of my coaching, I think that there's there's two things that 
there's two things that uh, that that I'm focused on. The first one is after saying that I change my mind often, but also how can how can I continue to converge the way the squad operates into getting better and better. Obviously, like through the years, there's been some characteristics in the way we work that have surfaced as as convergent to an ideal way of working. And and I, as part of my coaching development, I want to keep finding those things. And a lot of these things are hidden, and I can still find them. Like, hey, with what are the main aspects of what we do that has that have been working? Um, um, throughout the years that, that we can build up even more. We can we can highlight even more. And so this is like a concurrent process with changing my mind in the things that haven't been working, that need to be discarded. Uh, the second thing that I'm focused on, 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 on coaching development is being flexible and creating environments that work for the athletes that might contain me being there or not being there um, might mean my intervention or my non-intervention, but basically is, is this working? Can we make it better in terms of the environment around the athletes? And this might be something that might have different shapes, might mean me showing up, for example, we had uh, the camp in Fonhomo in France, and uh, and I show up there, and everybody was there, and we had like a huge group, and we worked together, and it was an amazing camp. Um, but at the same time, can we create an environment where three athletes are together and they're working very well, and maybe I come in and work with them for a week? So finding flexible coaching environments that work is 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 part of what i do um another thing that i'm also always like focused on and is on uh in finding ways to increase ownership and commitment that the athletes have in in embracing what we do and uh I feel that this is an area that has required from me uh, growth in terms of uh, letting go of control and and being more open to different ways of working with the athletes so that they are open to being in complete control or not in complete control, but in control of what they do and and creating like a relationship with me where we're more and more on the same page. So so these are a little like abstract concepts, but but these are the, the things that I'm thinking about like how can I become a better coach? Uh, is you know these two things. Yeah. Oh that's uh, that's great. And uh if you could give three pieces of advice to the listeners of this podcast uh, that would help them improve their endurance performance, what would that be? Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not very good at giving advice <laughs> because in in line with uh, in line with uh, in line with what I just said, uh, 
commitment and uh, uh, and ownership, I always feel that like the word advice is a little bit of uh, fire and forget, which is basically what you're asking me of, of doing would be like, well, why don't you put this up out there and maybe people will do it. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll do it for a while. But I would say that in terms of, in terms of, you know, endurance training process, I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is find a process that is sustainable, uh, that you are able to roll, that you are able to repeat, that you're able to do it today, tomorrow, next week, that you can keep rolling, keep doing this. And, uh, and in order for you to find a, a sustainable process, uh, this, uh, this, uh, a lot of things go into it. A lot of things about your environment, yourself, need to go into it to create a sustainable environment. Uh, I don't think uh, any athletes, whatever the level, uh, I don't think it's a good way of doing things where basically, uh, well, I just need to get to that finish line. You know, uh, you need to enjoy, you need to be in the process, you need to live for today, and then that finish line will come in eventually. Uh, so sustainability, I think, would be uh, a big a big piece of advice that I would give. Uh, the other thing is the importance of health. And, uh, and this is, uh, again, like so important. And particularly like in the environment that I work in, uh, like the level of injuries is incredibly high in triathlon. Athletes are always injured. And I wish... I would I would love to say that like well the athletes that in the squad are not injured I while I'm proud of the let's call it injury rates that we have I feel I still feel that uh, we always can do a little better and and athletes and coaches can do a little better in focusing on health and and injury prevention and and two things come into this one is overall training load. Uh, one thing is the, the training load that you think you can do. The other is the, the training load that you're actually are able to do. And, and in triathlon, in particularly like in running, which is the biggest source of injury in triathlon, uh, the, there's a big tendency of like ignoring warning signs. Injuries that athletes have in running are very, very seldom little niggles that athletes did not pay attention through denial or not thinking that that is important or whatever it is. So we focus a lot on just like paying attention to warning signs, to issues that might pop up, which doesn't mean that we can prevent injuries, but I would say that like focusing on your health um, is incredibly important for any injurious athlete elite athletes uh like i said like i think it's like in elite triathlon i think it's the rates of injury are simply too high and and i think we all can do a uh a better um a better uh a better job at it 
Uh, I would say that like the third piece of advice that I would give is uh, uh, triathlon for for sure for the people that are listening to uh, here. Triathlon is a big part of their life. It's probably their biggest part of their life. And I would say embrace it. Embrace it. If triathlon is a big part of your life, then this is who you are. And there's nothing wrong with it, you know? So, so embracing who you are, I think is important. Yeah, no, that's, that's all really great. I completely agree with, with all of that. And uh, let's do the rapid, rapid fire questions to finish, finish off. So take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports? Ooh, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't read a, like a training book in a long time. <laughs> so I can't even remember what was the, the last, uh, the last book that I, that I, that I read. It was probably, uh, one of those books that have like, uh, chapters of, uh, different, uh, uh, scientists, uh, writing about their, but it was a little bit disappointing. Um, mm. and in terms of like, it can't... I resource can can be flexible time. Yes, yes. And uh and uh in terms of like you know, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh and for example, like for 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 your podcast, I I do read the the show notes uh quite often to your for for some of your guests because the show notes is just like they're great. Like I'm done with them in five minutes and, uh, and it's, it's not a, a, a big, uh, a big time, time sink for sure. The biggest, the biggest resource for me is going to be either, either scientific papers that, uh, that sometimes like I, I'm interested in some aspects of training, endurance training or, or training science and I go and do some research on on PubMed and look into it. And so I would say that like that's that's my my biggest resource. And and the other thing would be like to uh, find books that are in in areas that are you know loosely uh, connected with coaching or with with let's say like I wouldn't say like self help but like personal growth kind of kind of books that sometimes are are have concepts that uh that uh that that are interesting to me and uh and so and so those are like the the main things that that i use as resource in in in, in what i do well i'm flattered that you read the show notes and uh bernard who is writing the show notes will be happy to hear that as well <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is very nice and uh what's an important habit that you've benefited from uh athletically professionally or personally um i think the the biggest habit that i that i benefited for, for me was uh to create uh I would call it like a soft discipline for myself and those around me. Uh, I am, I am not like a, I would say like discipline. When we hear about this word, we kind of like think about like uh, you're in the army now, where basically like being disciplined means that you're a little bit of a robot that's always on time. 
And I don't see discipline like that. Uh, I would say like creating a soft discipline for myself would mean, uh, you know, being on time, but doesn't have to be to the minute. Uh, uh, being able to deliver what people expect from me. Uh, being honest and truthful in my interactions. Uh, and with that soft discipline, also create that soft discipline around myself. Uh, just as an example, uh, we have times to do training sessions uh, that we have to do uh, as a squad, uh, but things don't have to be like by the minutes, you know, if somebody's a little bit late is not going to be, is not going to be a, a huge issue. Um, or for example, we have, when we do camps, not every session is going to be, not going to be uh, coached. Athletes have sessions on their own uh, every day. And with that, I create like athletes are doing the training, but I'm not there to just watch them or be with them. And with that, creating, again, the soft discipline. I, I think that this habit has benefited me a lot because it took me a long time to realize that I could be a disciplined person. Um, I could be a disciplined person without being overly strict or robot-like. And that benefited me. And personally, and also professionally uh a lot hmm. and uh finally who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you uh i think i think there's a saying that uh this says never meet your heroes <laughs> right <laughs> because uh i i'm not really liking to hero worshiping uh people uh i think people's strengths are their ideas and and for sure, uh, there's been you know too many people to too many people to um, to name that the strength of their ideas obviously uh, created an impact with me and the way I think and and I think that's that's really really important. But I wouldn't say like oh there's this person or even like this person that I've never met or that I don't know or a celebrity or somebody famous that. Uh, uh that uh that has like like a one stop one stop uh shop for uh inspiration and guidance uh for sure there's an aspect of like people's ideas are the strengths not people themselves and uh and at the same time there's also a lot of learning uh that is that can be done uh through uh, via negativa, meaning you can learn a lot by doing, by seeing people doing it the wrong way and you can do the right way. So the sources of learning, uh, the sources of learning are all imperfect. And, and with that, uh, tying yourself down to some, to one personality or a few personalities that you say, like, these are the people that are really inspiring me, uh, I think would be, is, is limiting. I would say for sure that the biggest source of inspiration that I have 
on my day-to-day job is performance and the athletes. Uh, it's incredibly inspirational to me when my athletes do well. Uh, I sometimes say that, uh, well, I sometimes say like coaching, never a good day because when you have a large squad, if they're doing a race or a weekend, not everybody's going to do great. Uh, somebody's going to have a bad race. Somebody's, and, but when athletes do well, when there's good performances, when a lot of athletes had a good day, a lot of, there's, that's where I draw my source of inspiration is my source of inspiration is performance is seeing like the work that we do every day to just come into fruition. Whenever my, whenever one of my athletes does really well, uh, people sometimes use the expression with me. It's just like, are you surprised by it? And I say, no, this is why we work every day. This is why I come to work every day so that we can win this race, that we can do really well, that people f- cross the finish line and, and they, and they had a really good day. That's, that's why we do this. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic note to to end on. So just uh-huh. before that, um, you mentioned your relationship with social media, but for the people that want to uh, give it a go and follow you, where where can they find you? Uh, I'm on... Uh, uh, there's rumors that my, my Twitter account is still <laughs> exists. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure, but uh, I'm on uh, PS Triathlon on both uh, Twitter and uh and instagram i'm definitely a little more active on uh on instagram uh uh and uh i think there's something called like tip top or something like that i don't i don't have an account there so it would be mostly like twitter and uh instagram yeah that's that's perfect uh thank you so much uh paulo uh it was great to have you on and and great to chat uh chat to you and i'm sure that the listeners will enjoy it thanks michael thanks for having me i hope that you enjoyed that interview as always you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with uh, some links that we mentioned including a video on eric lagerstrom's and paula finlay's youtube channel that shows some of the work they did when paulo was was visiting in person also, if you have the opportunity, make sure to check out the old podcasts that uh, Paolo used to do with Joel Filial. I have linked to them as well. Next Monday, I interview Andrew Sellers on the topics of testing, physiology, systems-based endurance training, and respiratory training. Andrew is a really smart guy, knows a lot about physiology, and he's a real innovator as well. So that would be a really cool one. Make sure you uh, tune in for that. And then just a quick reminder that uh, we are... Basically, at the end of the season, seven of three words is still to happen, but for many, the season is already over. And now is a great time to start working with a coach. If you know that you really want to improve your performance or you have some specific goals that you're working towards, it doesn't matter if you're newer to the sport or if you're a seasoned veteran or even a pro athlete. We work with athletes of all different levels, so feel free to contact us and uh, and reach out and discuss how and if we can help you in the best way. Check out more information on scientifictriathlon.com where we have plenty of details details or just email us directly 
Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs and get a specific and effective race strategy and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Sunate. Use the Sunate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and swim training consistency. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days and get special Senate and TTS bundle, including the swim trainer and a number of Senate training plans and on-demand workouts on senatesumtrainer.com for slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.